Be still when you have nothing to say. When genuine passion moves you, say what you've got to say and say it hot. That is a quote by D.H. Lawrence. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 174. I am delighted to announce that I'll be speaking at Women in Tech, Texas on 19th through the 20th of May, 2022. This event offers an immersive educational experience for like-minded women to access proven strategies and tools to support them in their mission to achieve their career goals. Registration is now open. Book your pass today and secure a 15% discount with my special discount code. And that code is W-I-T-T-S-P-E-A-K-E-R-15. And the website is www dot women hyphen in hyphen tech hyphen texas dot com. The topic of this week's episode is confidently take the stage. My guest this week is Tyler Foley. Sean Tyler Foley has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He is an accomplished film and stage performer and has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hi, Trina. It's a joy and a pleasure to be on with you. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. Looking forward to our conversation. But how I start off the show, I ask all my guests to tell the listeners who you are and what made you the Tyler that you are today. Well, that is an excellent question. So to answer, I would say that uh, Tyler is a father, a husband, Performer, entrepreneur, best-selling author, drummer, seeker of warm beaches, and uh, general goof. It would in that order, I'm pretty sure. And uh, what made me who I am, what brought me to be here today, is, I mean, very circuitous. I started in film and television when I was six years old. More specifically, got onto the stage at six. I uh, got into film and television in my late teens was an actor and performer professionally in the union for 20 years, went to school uh, after retiring from the business at 20 years at the ripe old age of 25, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, 
went back, got an engineering discipline, started my own uh, mapping firm, uh, aerial survey firm. Unfortunately, that business didn't pan out the way that I had hoped it would. But from it, I had a, a whole bunch of safety training that I needed to do in order to run the business that began a career in safety as a safety consultant. And that mostly communicate their message because a lot of safety uh, when you're putting in safety systems is communicating messages and ideas. And a lot of people struggle with it. And I happen to be very good at it, but I found that that translated to a more universal messaging. So instead of just being on safety, now I take C-suite executives uh, through a, a very proprietary process that gets them in touch with their messaging and uh, has them speaking to uh, crowds and stages as many as a you know, couple of thousand and as few as two or three in a boardroom. And it's whatever they really need. Mm. Now, you had a very, very diverse <laughs> resume, so to speak. So you <laughs> yes. retired from acting. Now you're a safety consultant and you speak to C-level executives. Tell me exactly how that works. And first of all, tell me, okay, so retiring from acting and you went to school, what did you go to school for? And how did this all evolve after retiring from acting? Well, the funny thing is, is acting was, you know, a 20 year career for me from six years old to 25. And that around 25, I'd become very complacent with it. It had become, it stopped being fun and had become a job. And I liked it when it was a career and a vocation. But when it became a job, a job at that point, it just wasn't fun. And I, I needed a break. My uncle is a photogrammetrist. My other uncle is a cartographer. So those are fancy ways of saying that one uncle makes maps on paper and another one makes maps using pictures. Mm -hmm. And I uh, had a grandfather who was a surveyor for a while. Um, uh, uh, uncle of mine who used to do bathymetric surveys, which is surveys in the water instead of on land. So like all of my family had this input into this one uh, career set. And so instead of fighting the system, uh, I gave myself up to it and went back and got a geomatics um, degree. And uh, geomatics, again, fancy way of saying map making. And I specialized, as my uncle did, in photogrammetry and cartography. And I started my own firm. The problem is, is um, it's an expensive business to have. Mm -hmm. You need planes and really, really expensive cameras and then crews who can take pretty pictures of the ground. And then you need a whole bunch of computers and software that can piece those pictures together. So anybody who's looked at Google Maps mm -hmm. and you click on the satellite view, yeah. and that's what I was doing. I was making those mosaics. I was stitching those wow. uh, pictures together. And your primary client when you have that kind of work is the government. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who insist that a safety system be put in place. So I didn't have enough money or runway or support to keep the business going. And things were evolving. People stopped using traditional film and we were moving towards a more digital age. We tried pivoting and going into interior mobile mapping. So scanning the insides of buildings. And that was about 10 to 15 years ahead of its time when we were doing it. And for all of these reasons and a few more, the business just didn't work out. But I had the safety training. 
And so a friend of mine said, listen, I need a, a safety manager for this very large industrial project that we are building way, way up north in the oil sands. And there's a lot of money to be made. Would you be interested in doing it? And I thought, well, I like the sound of a lot of money to be made. So I'm on board. And I had most of the safety training. He paid for me to upgrade a few of my courses and my skills to get a designation, National Construction Safety Officer, NCSO. And then I, I started working for him. And it was in that process where I really started to shine in giving safety presentations because they are boring. Oh, man. Like it is an invitation to a lobotomy having to go through most safety presentations. And I like to think that I bring a certain flair to it. Okay. And in in doing those presentations, a lot of people started to take notice and they'd say, well, hey, you know, it's actually not too bad if you go take Tyler's course. If you can sign up, take Tyler's course. Or they would, you know, in toolbox meetings or things like that, if they needed to present information, they'd kind of like, hey, get Tyler to do it. So, that, you know, at least it's interesting. Right. And I started to build this reputation of being able to deliver really well. And it's a skill set that I've honed over 35 years. I mean, when you are on stage at six, you figure out how to keep an audience entertained and engaged. And so I just translated that into a professional world. And then I had a whole bunch of executives come and ask me, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know. You show up and you smile. Like, I don't, <laughs> That's all I know. And so I really had to deconstruct what it was that I did. And then I started to teach some executives how to do it. And then the nice thing is, is uh, through different components and different introductions, I've now started to work a lot with charity directors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, re- and it, it gives me great joy when I get to do that because I have this one skill set, you know, I'm pretty inarticulate. And that's, that's <laughs> basically it. I suckered my wife into marrying me just on that principle alone. And so I don't, I don't really, in my estimation, don't have a lot to offer the world other than this. And so showing people how they can tell an engaging and effective story, how they can get their messaging mm-hmm. out in a powerful way, especially when it has a charity component or, or a right. social cause to it, that, that makes me feel good because now I'm, I feel like I can contribute to society by helping these people really contribute to society. And so it's been a joy and a blessing for me. You know, I, I laugh because being an international speaker as well, I do know that there's a lot that goes into the whole speaking. And it, like you said, especially if you don't want people like falling off the chair and killing themselves, just like you, mm-hmm. you have to know how to do it. Cause I went from being an officer in the Navy and speaking on that level to actually now taking stages and speaking. And I was like, yeah, I could do this. And I could, I had the, the confidence and everything, but there are two different worlds mm-hmm. between, you know, delivering something to an admiral or general, and then to something that, you know, you're trying to empower someone or uh, train someone to do. So they're very different. And so when you're speaking to your C-suite executives, because um, you would think someone on that level would be okay with their speaking, right? You would think that they have um, mastered it. What are you finding that you run into that's a common uh, pain point, if you will, of those executives? That they're unsure of their messaging. Mm. And it's funny because that you you said that you know you would assume that mm-hmm. they have made it to that level 
because they know how to do these certain skill sets and public speaking being one of the major ones. Mm -hmm. But what I have found is that, you know, you go to the Wharton School of Business and sure, you are required to give presentations and, you know, you come out with your MBA and, you know, you work through whatever corporate gig you have until you rise to this level of CEO. And now you have this title. You know, a lot of times you're coming in in a junior executive role and that's that's your base entry level um, when you're coming out of some of these schools. And although they do a really good job of preparing their students, and I shouldn't pick on Wharton, it just was the first one that came to mind, but I mean, any executive mm -hmm. school, uh, you know, they're preparing their students really, really well to understand business in a higher level in a very analytical level, but they're not arming them with this one soft skill. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, a lot of times they're getting by with like having to do a PowerPoint presentation and they just put a whole bunch of notes up on the screen and then yeah. they read through them really fast. And then now I'm done. And I think there's a point where they realize that they are losing the messaging mm -hmm. and there's a point where they want to do better because they know how boring it is to sit in that presentation just as much as everyone else's and they don't want to do it anymore, but they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, it's been really helpful for me, especially having the book to be able to say, listen, here's some quick tips for you. Just mm -hmm. try this, try this. You know, the, well, the first one that I, I often tell, and it blows a lot of executives minds when I work with them, anybody actually that I tell this to, I'm like, you don't have to talk as much as you're talking. And like, but, but no, I'm the executive, you know, and I have to give this keynote presentation and we've, we've slotted in a half an hour. Okay. Well, first of all, who slotted the half hour? Because if it's your company, you have the ability to <laughs> dictate right. how long that time is. So who said it had to be a half hour? Right. And the next thing is, is if it is a half hour, who said you had to talk the whole time? One of the best things you can do is ask other people what their opinion of this is. How is this landing with you? What do you feel about this? And that's when you really get that real engagement. And that's when you can find out how you're doing as a leader, right. because it's that feedback that you wouldn't normally get to have, especially if you have an entire corporation in an auditorium. That's when you can find out the things that you really need to know as a leader. And it takes the pressure off you because now you don't have to talk as much. You know, in a half an hour, if I'm giving a half hour presentation, the most that I'm actually presenting for is mm. probably 15 minutes. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, uh, like I said, there is a, a science to the method of actually giving a public talk or speech or whatever you want to call it. And not many people realize that because like you said, they think, oh, 30 minutes. So I got to consistently talk for 30 minutes. And that's just not true. But I was thinking as you were talking, how many of those executives, once you work with them, do you find that not only is it in delivering a presentation, but just their communication skills in general? Yeah, well, and because it's, I think people confuse the word. So a presentation, when we say it, you know, people are thinking stage, auditorium, hundreds of people. It could be you, me, and one other person. And as soon as I have two or three people, that and now I have a crowd, I have a presentation. You and I one-on-one -on -one right now, that's a dialogue. This mm -hmm. is you and I having a conversation. But as soon as you add one more person into the mix, now I have an audience. Mm -hmm. And 
so I've found that, you know, it increases their ability and their confidence to have better interviews, right? If they're on a panel and they're interviewing people, or if they're giving those uh, presentations to a board of directors, you know, they have more confidence going in because that's the funny thing too, is there's this weird shift in dynamics from I am the CEO and you are the people who work with me and for me to I am the CEO and I now have to answer to my board of directors why our stock took a hit last quarter. Mm-hmm. On the surface, they look different. But a presentation is a presentation is a presentation. And your board of seven or 10 or 12 people is no different than the auditorium. You still have to come up with messaging and you have to personalize it. Why does this matter? Like, And why should it matter to, to your audience? In one case, the board. In one case your subordinates. Mm -hmm. Either way, you have to come up with that personal messaging. And what I've found is that when people figure out that they don't have to talk as much, you know, the person asking the questions is the person with the power. Right. You don't want your board asking the questions. Right. Right. (laughs) You ask the questions of your board. And then that way you direct the conversation. How do you feel about last quarter's performance? Well, we're concerned. Tell me why. And then you can start to answer their questions. And all of a sudden, they feel validated, listened to. And then even if you had a miserable quarter or a year, you're, you're doing fine because you are the authority. You are the one with the answers. Nobody knows the company better than you. Or in the case of just a general presentation, if you're telling your story, nobody knows your story better than you. So either one of those scenarios, you are the expert, you are the authority in the presentation, or they would have asked somebody else to come up and present. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of taking that power, directing the conversations, and then the time flies. That's the other thing. Like you and I have been going at this now 15 minutes, and I feel like it's only been three or four because we're having a dialogue and a communication. Yes, yes. Exactly. You know, and and with those C, uh, CEO, C-suites, executives, when you are working with them, it's funny. And, and I would love to see this because I'm pretty sure they're like, yeah, I got this down. But how many of them actually get it where, you know, you can see it goes off in their head and they're like, oh, uh, I feel like a dentist. Uh, <laughs> one in five, you know, one in five. I'm the dentist who doesn't agree that that gum is good for you. Um, yeah, no, about one in five gets it like right away where mm-hmm. they're, but they're also, I find that that's just a uh, general humanity. Like how coachable are you? Yeah. Right. And the funny thing is, is a, a lot of people get into a leadership position because they are coachable. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. That's one of the reasons why I really like working with executives and entrepreneurial types there. Um, they understand that they don't have all the answers. And so they're looking for experts to come in and guide them so that they can gain more and more and more tools in their toolbox and grow within their business and, and personally. So I love working with them, but I, I, I'd say probably one in five gets it right away Mm -hmm. and the rest need to need to see the proof in the pudding right? There's theory and then there's practical. And I tell them this is the theory and they go, oh yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And then like I said, 20% are like, oh, that's genius. Of course, let's do that. And then they just implement. And then the other 80% push it because it seems counterintuitive to what they inherently know to be true until they test it and go, 
oh, that really worked. Okay, no, you're right. And you are worth every penny, Tyler. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're like, my invoice is coming straight to your email. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, it, yeah, it's funny because that's all about, not only is it about the presentation and speaking and communicating, but it's also about releasing part of yourself, right? That you thought was okay. That you thought, okay, I got this. And then to have you come in and say, "Mm, no, this is what you can do better. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are pretty hesitant to give in and say, okay, I worked with one of the, the, the president of one of the top home builders in my city. And, you know, this is a man whose net worth is measured in nine digits, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and was convinced that he was one of the greatest orators on the planet because he'd gone to Toastmasters <laughs> and, and was, was stubborn on it too. Because he he'd been to Toastmasters and he can write a speech and he even had speech writers. This was written for me and the words were beautiful, but they meant nothing in the delivery. I'm like, does that mean anything to you? What does it mean to you? Because if it doesn't resonate with you, it certainly isn't going to resonate with this audience. And if you think you're this master, you look at how many people are looking down at their devices, their glasses. Like you would give these presentations at their big annual communication. And it was a big dinner and usually five, 600 people there. And he'd get five minutes through what is usually a 20 or 25 minute speech. And it was just zombified, like just glazed eyes, people like, and they know, cause I mean, he's, he's a, a, a well-known man and a, a bit of a temper. <laughs> so you don't cross him. You don't cross him. So they'd look and they'd be like, uh, we're, we're stuck here. We're on this ride. And, uh, and eventually I, I, you know, I pointed out to him, like, I didn't, he wanted me to film, film his talk and I did, but I filmed it from, instead of filming him, I filmed the audience. He had really good audio. You could hear everything that he was saying, but you couldn't see how he was saying it. And then I think he, he got it. Okay. You know, it was, it was that humbling moment where he could see painfully because he didn't have himself to distract himself. All he could hear is all he could do is hear himself. Right. You know, and, and I think you're, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast right now can appreciate it because they're listening to Trina talk, Mm -hmm. you know, they're listening to you and me have a dialogue and we have to keep that engaging. And when you have somebody who has presented and knows that this is the emphasis that he is going to put on every word, yep. but the delivery is rote and hard and stiff. Like I'm even giving it better credit than what it was due. <laughs> I can't help it, you know? And when he, when he could finally hear it, but I think what was the most humbling for him was seeing people's faces yeah. where they, like, you know, and they're like, uh, just get on with it. And, uh, and, but it was, it was good. And then he, and he changed, like he was at that point, I, I got him to finally, the biggest breakthrough I had was when he dropped the script. I, I managed to talk him into having just bullet points. Yes. You need to talk about this, 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 and tell me from your heart what it means. The biggest thing that he struggled with because he is such a public figure was when I told him the thing you're afraid to say is the thing that people need to hear. Right. 
And he was like, no, 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 I'm an executive that shows weakness. You can't have that. I'm like, no, I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. It comes across as false and arrogant and BS. And you are not that person in real life. I know because I've sat with you behind closed quarters. We've had cigars. We've drank scotch. You and I have chatted as human beings. And I know you have a big heart, but you come across as this cold, calculated, vindictive individual. <laughs> and it's not who you are. But that's what comes across in your speeches. He didn't want to believe it. It worked out oh. great. I loved it. God. So tell me about your book. It's uh, The Power to Speak Naked. <laughs> yes. Purposely titled because nobody can say it without grinning like that. I mean, <laughs> it's just a title that's fun to say and a cover that's even more fun to look at. So. <laughs> you know, it. before you showed me the book, when I saw the title, I thought about what is that? Um the uh, alone in the wild and 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 naked. What what's that series? You know what I'm talking about. That oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah that naked and alone or whatever, and they drop the people on the yeah. on the island. Yeah yeah yeah. Well, and the, yeah, the book came about really, really organically, actually. So you know, I was working with a lot of these these people, and they. I found I was answering the same questions over and over and over and over again. And further to it, you know, it's one thing to come up and show up to somebody's office is another thing to be able to actually give them a thing. Right. And I found that if I was able to give them the thing ahead of time and say, listen, read this, it's going to answer the majority of the questions that you have. Then you and I can do a deep dive into the things that you have questions further about, like what you need clarification on what you need. And so the book actually initially was just a, a strategy and and a, a tool for me to be able to open the door and get people to start thinking about public speaking in a different way. And then the funny thing is, is it was, it, I originally self-published it back in May of 2019. And it was just uh, an offering that I had in the back of the room at my training sessions or something that I would give to my, you know, executive coaching clients, uh, my platinum level clients, um, you know, give them a signed copy and hair, you know, yeah. or as a, as an outreach to people that I wanted to work with just saying, you know, I, I saw you do this. I, I just wanted to give you this as a, as a gift and, and a thank you for what you've done. And it was, it was just a giveaway, right? It was a mm-hmm. door opener and a business card, really. Right. But at one of my events that I was at, my publisher was there, my current publisher. And uh, he came to me afterwards and said, listen, I you know, picked up a copy. I see that it's self-published. Have you thought of traditional publishing? And it, like, it wasn't even a thing that was on my radar. And I thought, well, sure, why not? So you know, September 7th of 2021, all of a sudden, the... You know, the book is on bookstores. It reached um, the hot new releases, Amazon number one bestseller. Uh, it was, you know, it had a real push to it. So it, that's been really rewarding to see that um, either because it has a controversial title <laughs> and uh, can't be advertised on Jeff Bezos' site because it doesn't meet their advertising standards or just because, you know, it's a, uh, you know, a fun and easy read. I don't know, but uh, it's it's been a really interesting journey to go from performer to speaker to author and then best-selling author. It's been uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. 
And so what are some of the things you talk about in the book? Are they different or you go more in depth than what you just talked about, what we just talked about earlier? Oh, oh yeah. No. So the, the book, it takes 35 years of my experience and compresses it down into 10 chapters. And it's nothing that people can't find by Googling, you know, public speaking or doing an Amazon search and, and getting those books. But what it, what differentiates it from other speaking books is a, I didn't write the book. Okay. I spoke the book. Mm. I'm a speaker. Mm. And so what we did was we took all of my training sessions and transcribed the audio and then comprised it into the book. So one of the things, things that I've gotten as feedback from the book is how refreshing it is to read because it reads like one of my training seminars. Okay. And so when people, either when people come to a training seminar and have never read the book and then they read the book, they're like, it's like you're talking directly to me because I am. Or if they've read the book and have never been to one of my training seminars and they come, they're like, it, it's like I could hear you already. Like they already know me. There's a familiarity. And then the way that I present the information. So, you know, telling people that they need to connect with their audience, like that's earth shattering news, right? Like every public speaker trainer is going to tell you that, but how I get you to connect with them from a performance perspective, first of all, what is your story? Let's dive deep into why that story matters to you. And then why that should matter to your audience As Les Brown has famously said, never make a point without a story and never tell a story without a point. Okay. And I love Les and especially his ability to tell stories. Like he's got it down and he should, he's a, he's a Titan of the industry. But what I do is I connect people with why that's important and really get them to draw out their own story instead of telling anecdotes and somebody else's, you know, reading through Aesop's fables and giving yourself, you know, some kind of something, tell your story. And, and get your audience to connect with you and, and really actually be vulnerable. It's one of the reasons that it, the book is titled The Power to Speak Naked is I want people to be able to expose themselves and speak the raw naked truth. Mm-hmm. You know, say the thing that they're afraid to say and, and be confident in the fact that it will be received because the thing you're afraid to say is what your audience needs to hear. That's the thing that changes them. That's what hooks them. That's what gets them to see you as a human being and allows you to have them walk a mile in your shoes and that's how you take them on a journey of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there, like I said, there's nothing earth shattering or new in it, but how it's presented and why it's important, including the, I've got two chapters dedicated to engaging and re-engaging your audience. You mm-hmm. know, the key, right. Prevention is always better than a cure. So the prevention side is let's not lose them in the first place. So <laughs> these are all the tips that I have so that you just never lose your audience. Mm-hmm. But on the off chance, yeah, I've had a bad day. You've had a bad day. We've mm-hmm. all had bad days. And maybe we're not on our A game and maybe we don't keep that audience engaged. So here's your backup plan. <laughs> be a Boy Scout. Always be prepared. This is how you're going to keep your audience engaged. If you happen to find that you're losing them, I have an entire other chapter dedicated to re-engaging them. And then we talk about story and we go through preparation, proper preparation. I think that's the other difference. I think it's one of the things that sets my book apart from any other is the things that I focus on when it comes Mm -hmm. to preparing for a talk is drastically different than what most others do. I talk a lot about breath work, um, technical preparation, and then mental preparation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because um, my speaking coach is Lisa Nichols, 
And she goes in. She, yes. Yes. She's awesome. And she's uh, incredible. Yes, she is. She is. And I love her and some of the things that she's taught me. And, and it's funny because I actually have a talk in a couple of weeks and I've been practicing and going around and I'm like, mm, yeah, I know I want to say it like this. No, I want to say it like that, you know, because it is as important how, you know, what are you going to highlight? How are you going to make something stand out so that people actually listen and engage? And that's what's so important. You know, you don't want the people looking at the phone and, and I totally agree. The, the story is what connects people. I mean, if you just go yeah. up and you're telling them a hundred statistics, you know, they're going to be like, okay, you know, I, I can like read that in a book. But if you're giving them a reason for these statistics and you're saying, okay, here's my story, here's how these statistics are relevant, then all of a sudden you have a captivated audience, right? You have somebody who's engaged with you. Stats tell, stories sell. You know, mm-hmm. it's an old adage for a reason. And I mean, when you talk about Lisa Nichols, I mean, you don't get to to put up motivating the masses for nothing, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> and how do you do that? As you said, it's it's that story. And when it's one of the it's one of the first questions that I always ask, like, why is this statistic important to you? Right. Like, like tell me why. Yeah. What does it mean? And if somebody is stuck with it, I'm like, okay, well, if you can't answer that, that's a that should be an indicator. But if it's yes. a statistic you still need to present, ask your audience why it's important to them right. and let them drive the conversation. So there's there's always ways of presenting information, including dry information, in a way that connects to the story. Mm-hmm. And I had to do it with safety. You know, I people see that, you know, falls from heights are the number one cause of death on in construction sites. Okay, great. What does that mean? Right. Right. So what does this mean to you? And then you have the one guy go, well, you know, I was working this site and I saw a guy fall off a a pitch, you know, or it happened to me. And now I've been on disability for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that's why I can only do these jobs. And I I miss being able to have full functionality and and things like that. Like it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And it's when you get those personalized messages and stories that people start to think in and, and, and let it sink into, into their psyche. So. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely important. Like I said, I, I always think about that when I'm crafting my own talks, cause I'm like, yeah, you know, I try to put myself on the other side cause I'm thinking, okay, if I were sitting listening to this, how would I want this? How would I want to hear this so that I'm engaged and I'm really paying attention. And not only that afterward to remembering what was said. So yeah, there's, it's, yeah. I love it. Yeah, we can talk about this like all night. I, I, I really like it. You know, so, it's oh. almost like I could do a two and a half to five day workshop or seminar on this one topic, Trina. This one topic, and you could believe me, and I could. have, and I do regularly. <laughs> you could. I mean, it's just so. Yeah, it's the art of speaking is really an art. It really is. Um, so yeah, you mentioned Les Brown and like there's Lisa Nichols and just people like that, that you like, wow, how, you know, you, it, cause you've come across those people who talk and you're like, man, they could sell me sand in the desert, you know? And you're like, oh, just because they delivered it right. One of my favorite speakers is Molly Bloom. 
Mm. And, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to, to do a few events with her and, and see her backstage. And one of the things that I love the most about her is she, who she is on stage is who she is off stage. There is no difference. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is when she's on stage, just how commanding mm-hmm. she is. And what's interesting is, is watching her like somebody who has gone through what she has. For those who don't know, Molly Bloom was um, former Olympic athlete, uh, downhill skier, um, extreme athlete. And had a, a horrible, horrible crash that derailed her career and basically stopped her from doing it and ended up, if you ever get a chance, watch the movie or read the book, Molly's Game, uh, she ended up running the largest private poker, underground poker room in the world and got, yeah, and got busted by the, the FBI yeah. and would not turn, would not, you know, and she had, her black book had a-list names that they wanted to get in and bust and she would not turn on it ended up having to uh, do a little bit of jail time for it and and that's that's who we're dealing with when we're talking about the great molly bloom and yet backstage bundle of nerves Mm -hmm. and and i've always been fascinated by that and just stage fright in general has always fascinated me because I didn't experience stage fright until I was 14 years old and I'd been on stage since six. So there was an eight year gap from being on stage to the first time I went, Oh, this doesn't feel good. Cause for every other time this felt good. Mm-hmm. And particularly in her scenario, cause usually when I do a drill down for that, somebody has had something at some point where having the spotlight shone on them was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And so then, and, you know, and that, that usually early on, you know, it's a, uh, Often when I, I'm working with my clients, it's, you know, being called upon in the classroom and the teacher sa- says no or scolds them for it and the class laughs. And so they know that mm-hmm. when they speak up, particularly in front of a group, it's bad. And that's an association thing. But with Molly, I have no idea where it comes from. Because, I mean, again, elite athletes mm-hmm. competing oftentimes and you're bound for the Olympics and uh, and yet watching her prep backstage is 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 endlessly fascinating for me and another one that i absolutely love who's the complete opposite is phil town phil town is one of the greatest speakers i've ever seen he's so smooth but because he knows his stuff Mm -hmm. you know like he just he's he's just talking from experience in his heart and he he does it over and over again you watch him backstage he's the same thing he's the same guy on and off same as molly the difference is if he's nervous I have, I'll never know maybe because he's ex-military. I don't know, but like he cool as a cucumber from A to B to Z. He's just, he's wonderful. I just love watching him when I get the chance to see him. That's interesting. So in your opinion, what do you think it is that makes people like that? Some people have nerves, some people don't. And I'm not talking about the people who are just like afraid of public speaking, but I'm talking people like us, you know, us, Molly, people who are speakers, you know, and even though we can get out and do the craft, the behind the scenes, because I I get a little nervous, but it's like once I hit that stage, I'm like, all nerves go away. If I had to find a commonality, I think it is the experiences 
prior to somebody ever finding the stage? Mm-hmm. Like, what was it? What what f- was the formative thing that occurred to get somebody to then have the platform that they were able to speak from stage? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at uh, somebody like uh, my friend Sean Douglas, uh, ex Marine, very recently retired from the Marines. Um, uh, runs a, an incredible company called the Success, Success Core, and Core is C O R P S, like the Marine Corps. And you know, he's somebody who had military trained, has um, put, literally put his life on the line. And so, what standing in front of a couple hundred people and and talking about my experience is going to be right. <laughs> like for him is like. And this is another, this is better than my other day at the office, you know, like he's, he's just smooth with it. For me, I I was on stage at such a young age that stage for me is where I find my joy. Right. Because it was, it is a, a place of comfort for me. It's a place of play. It's a place of excitement. It's a place of joy. Like I have a lot of positive acronyms around being on stage. And so, you know, what is it that brings you to that stage? And how welcoming are you of attention in general? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess with, and I'm completely speculating at this point, totally off the cuff. If I had to do a psychoanalysis of Molly right now, being a completely and totally untrained, unprofessional, <laughs> um, I would say, you know, she was in a sport where even though there were spectators, it's a solo sport right? The only person you're competing against is yourself and a, and a clock. And then particularly then when she pivoted from Olympic athlete to poker game, um, and you know, you don't want people knowing what you're doing. Right. So maybe, you know, maybe that is a, a commonality there where somebody like Les Brown, who came out from, you know, started as a radio DJ, mm-hmm. it was comfortable using his voice, was comfortable talking to people, even though the people weren't there, um, you know, to actually be able to see, but you and I both know being on stage, there's really no difference. And if right. you were on it, particularly the bigger, the auditorium, the harder and harder and harder it is to yeah. see people, the more lighting there is, the yeah. harder and harder <laughs> it is to see people. So I think, you know, for less to be able to have spoken to the largest crowd and world record crowd, I think was probably easy for him because how do you even see those people? You right. don't. It's just this right. mass of humanity and energy at that point. So I don't know what the common thread is, but I think formative experience to why you're there. And then what I do think is the inner confidence, knowing that your messaging matters, right? Yeah. Like the people who do it really good know their story and they, they don't deviate mm-hmm. and they don't care who listens and who doesn't. Right. They're not, they're there. Because they have a thing to say that they know, if you listen, is going to have an impact on you. And if you don't listen, that's okay. Right. But for those who pay attention, hey, listen, I've got this thing. And if you pay attention, I I think I can change the trajectory of your life, even just a little bit, uh, incrementally. But I want you to just pay attention to this. And they're comfortable with that. They're comfortable with not everybody's going to resonate with them. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. The people who resonate with them, they're going to make a difference and that's who they're going to focus on and that's who their messaging is for. And that's when they, that's when you have the people who have the most impact and, and the most resonance and, and do the, the best at this work. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Totally. Agree. I just had to get your viewpoint on that because 
in my nature, I'm an introvert, but speaking is like my, my jam. Right. And I think I, I totally agree with you because I remember growing up and being in church and doing plays and things like that. And that's kind of where I really felt big because, you know, being this, this last child, being an introvert, being, you know, so that was like where I really shined at. So I was really excited to do things like that. So it's, it's, I guess, speaking would be a normal thing coming from that. Well, and it's funny because you'd be surprised the number of professional speakers who are introverts. I'm one too. And a lot of people don't think that because I have this very gregarious personality and I'm outgoing um, and people think that I'm social. Mm -hmm. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is uh, introvert is not somebody who doesn't like social scenarios necessarily. I find them draining, Yes, but I don't not like them. But it's the fact that I find them draining that makes me an introvert. That's Mm -hmm. the difference. An extrovert is energized going into a crowd. People give them energy. An introvert gets mm-hmm. energy on their own. They go, right. they step away from people to recharge. Yes. And one of the things that I do have found in one of my theories, and I would love to be able to run a test and a study on this and actually have metrics on it. I would guess that the majority of speakers would identify as introverts Mm -hmm. because the stage is one of the greatest places as an introvert to be because it's one of the places where you can be on yourself Mm -hmm. you can be completely alone and still be in a crowd yeah right you're there are a thousand people here but this is my space Mm -hmm. and when i am done in my space i don't step down into there i go back there Yep. And there I have my green room and I have my little place to decompress and I know that I've done good and I can just relax. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would hazard that if you did a study, the majority, and it may be a small majority, but still a majority of speakers are probably introverts, if mm-hmm. I had to guess. Yeah, I think so. I, I really do because... I know I'm one like, and like you said, I'm, I get drained by crowds. Like people always ask me, they're like, oh, you must be social. You know, you do the podcast, you speak. And I'm like, no, actually I'm an introvert. I'm like, it, I'm like, I'm on when I do those things um, because it's, it's draining. And people look at me in confusion because they just don't understand it. And I'm, I can't explain it to them. I'm like, you know, I was like, you know, it's almost like being on a drug and getting a high that, you know, you like, but then you come down when you're done, you know, and that's, that's, that's my best way of explaining it to people is speaking, the podcast, things like that are my high. It's something that really takes me to the next level. But when I'm done, I'm like, you know, wow. Okay. I'm ready to, you know, just sit down and be by myself. It's not sustainable. No. Right. You couldn't, you need those, those moments to come back to yourself and and recharge and that again that's you know that's the sign of the introvert and yeah i i think a lot of us in the industry are are that way yeah this episode is being sponsored by true vision have you lost hope in starting your business lost steam or just do not know where to go from here see with true vision and define your path 
The True Vision Project seeks to heal, rebuild, and transform your online business from the inside out. For more information and early access for only Trina Talk listeners into the True Vision Project, send an email to connect at definingpaths.info. Make sure to mention that you heard about it on Trina Talk. Yeah. All right. Let's get on with our questions. You ready? I am ready. I've been pumped. I've, I was promised 10 questions to wrap up. Rapid fire. I am pumped to do this. Let's do it, Trina. All right. Who or what motivates you? My daughter. Good answer. What demotivates you? <laughs> Crowds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Uh, when I was in my senior year of high school, um, my director told me I would never make it as a professional actor. Hmm. And I put that, I, it was actually, I started um, uh, a doubter journal. I wrote down everybody who said I wouldn't make it in whatever it was, whether it was goaltending, acting, business, life, whatever. And I, I just write the name down. It's not a, a vindictive name. I don't want to get back at them. But it's nice to see all the list of the people who doubted that I could do it because it mm-hmm. grows every day. And it that gives me great power because every time I succeed at the thing that they said that I didn't, I get to go, see, you didn't know. You didn't know. And I, I did it. I did it anyway. And uh, so I, and that started at, at 17, being told I would never be a professional actor. Mm. What is your fear? <sighs> Honestly, uh, my greatest fear is um, losing my physical abilities while still maintaining my mental cognizance. To the point where, where I like I've had two incidents in my life where I've been severely dehydrated to the point where they misdiagnosed me as with meningitis. And the second time they did it was the most terrifying event for me and my wife because I couldn't actually articulate anything. I was I was almost catatonic. Mm. And so I would I knew the words that I wanted to say. They wouldn't come out. And, and, and I was, I was literally trapped in a prison of my own mind. And I've, I've heard people talk about that. You know, I look at the, that great movie, the Robin Williams one awakenings Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, seeing Robert De Niro in that state, I would, that is my biggest fear where I know what's going on up here, but to the rest of the world, I'm vegetative. That would, that is, that has to be my biggest fear in the world. Oh, that sucks. Yes. And now you got me to think about it now. Okay. (laughs) To your listeners, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, yeah. That that list is long and distinguished. Do you want me to pick one? Pick one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if I had to like pick a one, it would, uh, it comes back to safety. Oh, man, I remember yelling at this one kid to the point where I made him cry and quit and it was not the right way to handle that situation and uh, to this day I apologize to him in my mind because I'll never be able to apologize to him in person if he's listening by odd chance squirrel I apologize to you flat out but like even down to the fact that the kid had a nickname squirrel 
because and I don't know what his real name is to this oh, day. Okay. I couldn't tell you what his real name is, but uh, I, I made him cry and then I made him quit a site. And that I, I would love to say that it's the only time I've lost my temper, but it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that one, that was one of many on the, on the list. Okay. Squirrel, if you're listening. Okay. You know where to find him. <laughs> That's is, right. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? No. Um, even the things that work out bad that are always learning lessons for me. I never regret doing things. The things that I regret are the not doing things. Mm. Um, because at least if I do it, I and I knew better. Well, at least I know that I knew better. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, there's nothing that I've done where I wish that I hadn't done it. All the things, yeah, it's always the things that I haven't done that I wish that I had that, that sit. And so, no, I, I wouldn't be here. I've needed to do everything that I did to be where I am today. And so there's nothing that I've done that I regret. Okay. What is your definition of success? <sighs> If I had to define success, it would be being able to improve the world beyond yourself. Okay. Um, and I think as long as you can do that, you've succeeded. Good. Good. How do you recharge? Oh, um, I, I Tuesday afternoon matinee in a theater at a movie that no one else has seen or is, is at, at the time, right? Like it's the, it's those movies that are just about to be pulled off the screen and they're tanking at the box office and there's no one else cares about it. And to go and sit in the middle of the theater and be the only person or maybe one or two other people in the dark lights and the big sound and a big tub of buttered popcorn and just, chill for two hours and be entertained in a theater. I love, I love movie theaters. I love the smell of popcorn. Mm. Okay. So aside from speaking and acting, what are you awesome at? Goaltending and drums and Lego. I am a master Lego builder. I love me my Lego and I love playing Lego with my daughter. It's one of my favorite things to do. Do you have the girl Legos? The pretty I knew from the girl Legos. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and she's getting so good at it too. Like she's six years old, and a lot of those sets are for like eight to twelve, eight to fourteen. And she just she got one for her birthday here in the summer and just smashed through it and like played it. And what I love is that like I'm I'm a grown adult, right? So now I I have collectible Lego, mm-hmm. and so I like if you can't see it, and I'm not going to show you, but I got, I got all my models are up here and I got models that are behind the screen and I got models over here, but they're models. Daddy builds them. Then they, you don't play with them. They they stay the way they are. She builds it all up and then takes takes it it apart and builds new stuff and and plays with it. She's still actually, you know, she's still playing Lego. And I, I love, love seeing her do it because I, I recognize where I have gotten stuck in my creativity because mm-hmm. if you asked me to break apart the X-Wing that's sitting right there right now, right. I'd be like, no, no, right. because then I'd, then what do I do with the TIE fighter? And I've got the Imperial shuttle right there. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about now, they know that I'm a mad star Wars. List. Right. But, yeah. See, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Cause I think I bought those sets for my, my son 
And, <laughs> and I've also bought sets for my daughter. And then they put them together. They take them apart. And then I had a big black trash bag full of Legos that weren't anything that I actually sat on the curb and put a sign like free Legos to anyone who wants them. So, yeah, I understand that. But I'd, anyway, I'd have grabbed that bag off that curb in a heartbeat. Well, you could have had them because it probably was about two or three hundred dollars worth. No, probably more than that of Legos. Oh, yeah. Um, what legacy do you want to leave? Oh, I love this question. This is my favorite, favorite question. My daughter, she is my legacy. Um, one, I was on a show a couple months ago and the host asked me if somebody searched your name a hundred years from now, what would you want to come up in the search? And I thought, what an amazing way to ask what you want your legacy to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I loved the ingenuity of the question. And I remember my gut instinct was, I want that to read that I was the father of the prime minister of Canada. And only because it was the first thing that could come to my mind that was like a, a, a recognizable achievement. Mm-hmm. And then I realized as I was saying it, I'm like, actually, I don't care. I don't care what the thing that my daughter does is mm-hmm. that she's known for. Right. But I want it to be so impactful that people are like, Oh, that was her dad. And if uh-huh. I can, and that's what I want. I want people when they hear my name, whatever other legacies that I can leave um, and whatever change that I can put into the world, it starts with my daughter. And when we go back to my definition of success, like how do, how do I leave the world a little bit better? It mm-hmm. starts with her. And, and I have to get better for her on a daily basis because Lord knows I'm not a perfect father. And we have our challenges, especially now that she's six years old and starting to find her independence. Um, but how she comes out of the world at the end, you know, mm-hmm. whatever her eulogy is mm-hmm. and whatever is written on her epitaph, will be a direct reflection of me. And that, that is the legacy that I want to leave is Mackenzie Lynn Foley. Wow. All right, Tyler, tell the listeners how they can connect with you, get your book, uh, get you to help them speak naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell them all how to do that, Trina, but I want them to do me and you a favor first. More specifically, I want them to do me a favor and that is help you. And what I want them to do is whatever device they're listening to this on right now, whatever platform they're on right now, I want them to hit pause. And I want them to reflect just after they hit pause on what their favorite episode was, or if this happens to be a a helpful episode for them, what the favorite tip or trick or whatever they've gotten out of this conversation. But I want them to give you a five-star review and I want it to be detailed. Because if they're listening to this point, I mean, we've been chatting for almost an hour. Um, They're a dedicated listener. And so I want them to say, why, Mm -hmm. why did they come back? What is it about coming to the Trina talk show and downloading this and listening each time that brings you back. So give Trina a five-star review because it is not easy to do this. I've got the good job. I show up as a guest. I don't have to do anything. And when I walk away, I walk away. There's so much effort that goes into getting good guests on a show. And, and frankly, to your listeners, they don't know the effort that you put in, but as a guest who's been through your process, I know the effort that you put in and I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing. And, and so I'm giving you a five-star review and I think your listeners, if they could just hit pause 
give you a five-star review. And now that they're back from doing that, if they want to know more about me, they can hop over to seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. And uh, they can find all things about Tyler there. Uh, They can find my calendar, my speaking events. They can get on with the training. They can reach out to my team. They can even find ways to reach out to me personally. They can get copies of the book. Um, Although I would say you can order copies of the book from the website, but one more favor to ask your listeners, if they want to get a copy of my book or any other book, um, if they could go to bookshop.org particularly your u.s listeners this doesn't really work so well for the international listeners but for our u.s listeners if you go to bookshop.org the next time you're thinking of picking up any reading material whether it's the power to speak naked or anything else that's on your reading list uh, because bookshop.org will connect you with your local book retailer your mom and pop shop and they're struggling right now and they could really use the help so not only will you get the book there slightly less than what you would get on my website or on Jeff Bezos' site or some of the big bookstore retailers. Um, bookshop.org sells the copies of, of titles for just usually about a dollar less than what they would be normally at retail. But then they also take a percentage of the proceeds and donate it back to your local bookstores. So for all of those reasons, getting the books cheaper, um, supporting local stores, and then supporting other local retailers through this pooled fund if they could go to uh, bookshop.org and then the rest of the stuff seantylerfoley.com they can get all that information but only if they've hit pause on this device and given you trina a five-star review for trina talks great thank you for that and thank you tyler for being on trina talk i really appreciate it it's been a great conversation and hopefully we'll stay connected absolutely we will i i enjoy it and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to get together. If you like Trina Talk Podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in your life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey not a destination.